Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 10 of my Genesis podcast. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. Our subject is the life of Jacob. We've been talking about the book of Genesis, and we've gotten about halfway through. Today's theme verse, though, actually comes from a letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians in the New Testament. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So let me remind you how far we've come after we did the creation story and then the great flood with Noah and then his sons after him. We got to the beginning of the Jewish nation founded by Abraham, called by God in about 1800 BC. And he and his wife, Sarah, were blessed with the heir of the promise, Isaac, in their very old age. Then last week, we talked about the life of Isaac and Rebekah in Genesis 26. That was after their twin sons were born. And I told you that we were going to put off the twin sons until this week and look from a broad perspective at their whole life, specifically at the life of one of those boys, Jacob. And when you get the long view, it absolutely fascinates me. There are great reasons to preach a sermon from a single verse or even a phrase of a verse, like using a microscope in a laboratory. But there's also times when what you need to know can best be seen with a telescope. And so you're looking at vast expanses of either time or space all at once. And that's what we are doing today, looking at almost a whole lifetime to see what can be gained from it because it's so much like what we are looking at today. So Isaac and Rebecca were married when he was about 40 and she was probably getting close to 20. You remember that Isaac had been uh, given a wife because Abraham's servant went back to the old homeland and found the cousin that was the right person and brought her back. And they had a beautiful and wonderful and monogamous relationship, one man and one wife all of their life. And now we're in Genesis 25. So remember, this predates what we talked about in Genesis 26 last week, but then we'll move forward. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. Isn't that strange? We have these promises from God about how he's going to make Abraham into such a fruitful nation that they'll be like the stars of the sky, too many to count. And then he just has the one boy through which this promise will be achieved, and then that boy gets to be almost 60. They've been married two decades, and there's no baby. And he's praying about it now. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? She didn't have an obstetrician to go to so she could get an ultrasound. She didn't know it was going to be twins. She's probably getting pretty close to 40 now. She's never been pregnant before, 
and maybe she's halfway through the pregnancy or so, so maybe four and a half, five months, starting to show pretty good because it's twins, and she's feeling all of this strange movement. And she says, why is it happening? And so she went to inquire of the Lord. I love this beautiful painting that shows her off by herself at a well, getting alone with God and talking to him. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Hmm, this is an echo. Do you remember that Abraham had a son with his concubine, Sarah's maid, Hagar? And Ishmael was the oldest son, but the promise wasn't for him. It was for Isaac, the son of Sarah. And now we've got twin boys coming, and the oldest one is entitled to the double portion, the birthright. And God is telling her before they're even born, he's not the one that's going to inherit. It's going to be the second one. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. Now, they were fraternal, not identical. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Harry. That's what Esau means. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. Oh, well, that's kind of interesting but these things happen doesn't mean anything. Oh, yes, it did. In this case, it was portentous. It had symbolic meaning. So he was named supplanter or heel grabber. You know, a supplanter is one who takes the place of another, kind of sidles in and uh, removes someone from their place and takes their place. We could also think of that word as meaning deceiver. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to them. I love this picture. We forget how people used to and still around the world give birth. It's often best if the woman is upright because you can use gravity. So you see there, the name of this painting is the birth of Isaac and Jacob. I mean, Esau and Jacob. So you can see that Esau has already been born and he's at the back being held by the midwife and the other one is being delivered. I like this one too, done by Benjamin West in the 1700s. It's called Esau and Jacob presented to Isaac. So if you look careful, you can see the two babies. Here they have the traditional Western go to bed to give birth picture. And we see the two babies. Probably Esau is in the back here because he was the older. And do you see how that could have symbolic meaning in the painting? He's in the back because he won't be first, he will be second. And then in the middle of the painting, painted in bright white colors, sort of the focus of the painting, is this Jacob, this heel grabber, this supplanter or deceiver. Now remember, our focus is supposed to be, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So now they're grown up. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. He was a man's man and he had a lot in common with his dad and his dad bonded with him. And Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. So he was kind of a, I guess you could say a ladies man or maybe it would be better to say a mama's boy. 
He enjoyed spending time at home with his mother and doing domestic things. He liked to cook. He wasn't a sissy, but he just enjoyed the domestic life. They had livestock all around the house. Why go out and hunt when you've got goats and sheep to take care of right here? And he bonded with his mother. And so there was this favoritism on both their parts. Isaac, who had a taste for game, loved Esau, or Harry, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, you see what I mean? He liked to cook. Esau came in from the open country famished. Well, you know, if you have to miss a meal or two, especially in some people, your blood sugar can get a little low and that makes you pretty weak. And it can even make you feel a little faint. So he said to heel grabber, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. It was apparently lentils, a pottage as they would call it. Jacob was a man who could see long-term and he was a schemer of sorts. And he was always looking to jockey himself into position for greatest blessing. And he had probably thought quite a bit over the years about how his brother, who was only born minutes before he was, was entitled to a double portion of the blessing. He would get the birthright, the main part of the inheritance. And don't forget, this family was uber rich. They were not just comfortable, but by the standards of the day, unbelievably wealthy because everything that Abraham had, except for a few gifts that he gave to his other sons, some that were born after Sarah's death and then Ishmael, all of it went to Isaac. And then we read last week how God blessed Isaac and blessed him. And he had that one harvest, remember, we looked at last week where he reaped a hundredfold. Everything he touched turned to gold. And so there was so much around. And Jacob's looking at all of this and he's thinking about the future and what it would be like if he was in the position of the one with the birthright. And I've had to truncate a lot of this. So every time you see the dots, you know, I'm leaving stuff out that you might like to go back and read later. But Jacob replies to Harry or Esau, who has low blood sugar and feels faint and is very hungry. First, sell me your birthright. Well, Esau has never been a man to plan for the future or to think much about the blessings of God. He's for the here and now. If it feels good, do it. And all that really matters is this that's happening to me at the moment. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. Oh, come on. Let's not be too dramatic. I mean, you're just a few feet from the tent. This family is rich. They have all kinds of resources. I'm sure there's something around here you could eat. I know the stew smells really good and it's piping hot and there's a bowl right there and we could dip you some up. But if you had to wait 30 more minutes to eat something, you wouldn't die. But he's not thinking about that. He's just thinking about, feed me. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is that birthright to me? That is a bad attitude that won't serve you well. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Harry some bread and some lentil stew. Can you see him woofing it down? Boy, I bet that first bite was heaven. Mm. And going down, you know, it's maybe it was a little chilly that day, and it's warming his throat as it goes down. 
He was just thinking, oh, I am so hungry. And then he eats bite number five and bite number 15, and he's starting to feel full. And then the whole thing is a little bit sickening when you think about what you paid for it. I mean, it's nice to drink a glass of Coca-Cola, but would you pay $15,000 for one? If you did, you sure would feel bad about it after you drank it, wouldn't you? Well, that's kind of what he did here. He ate and drank and then got up and left, and so Esau despised his birthright. So we see that interesting picture here from James Tissot, who liked to use colored pencils. This was done in 192. And you can see Esau or Harry there with his long red locks, and he's talking to his brother, saying, please give me something. So that wasn't very nice of Jacob. It wasn't loving. It wasn't his place to try to finagle in a manipulative way the birthright from his brother. It was a little deceptive, actually. He was kind of hitting a man when he was down. But then an opportunity came later that was even worse. I'm sure that when Isaac found out that his beloved Harry, his beloved Esau, had so foolishly sold his birthright that he was sick about it at heart. And what he really wanted was to bless that boy. He knew what God had said prophetically to his wife when she was pregnant and she went off to pray, and that the one through whom the promise to the world would come, you know, of Messiah would actually be Jacob. But, oh, he loved that boy Esau. So one day that boy came in and he said, listen, son, I'm old and I don't know when I'm going to die. Well, he was right. He didn't know when he was going to die. He still had more than 20 years to live. But he had apparently developed cataracts or, I don't know, macular degeneration or something. And he couldn't see very well. And he felt kind of old and he was wondering if he was going to die. And so he said to Esau, if you'll go out and hunt some venison, because that's what he really liked was deer meat, and cook it just the way I like it and bring it in to me, I'll bless you. But Rebecca, who had so bonded with Jacob and had these same manipulative tendencies that were being passed down to her son, was listening. And she decided, here's a chance for Jacob, the one that I already know from God is to be the boy of promise, to get even more blessings. So she goes and whispers in his ear, and she says, son, while he's out, you go in there, and you act like you're him, and I'll make some goat meat and put the spices on it, and he'll never know the difference. And Jacob says, but he'll know from my voice, even though he can't see well. And what if he feels of me? He'll know I'm not hairy because Jacob had smooth skin. And she said, well, you just put some goat hair on your arms and he'll be confused and he won't know. And so that's what he did. We hop over to Genesis 27 and Jacob comes in after Esau has left. It hadn't been that long, maybe just an hour, not near long enough to go hunting and find a deer and slay it and then get it ready to eat. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. And remember, what are we supposed to be talking about? Sowing and reaping. He's sowing deceit. He already sowed manipulation. And now he's outright lying to his dad, a good and godly man. I am Esau. I am Harry, your firstborn. I've done as you told me, another lie. 
Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. And so he came near and kissed him. And sure enough, Esau did question it. Well, your voice is like Jacob. Let me feel of you. So he comes over and he touches his son's arms and the goat hair is on them. And so they feel hairy. And he says, well, the voice is Jacob. But I guess it is Esau. And he ate and was satisfied. And then he pronounced this beautiful and lengthy poetic blessing over his son. And Jacob gets up and walks away. Just about that time, Esau comes in with the venison. So this beautiful painting that was done in the 1700s by Garrett Willems Horst called Isaac Blessing Jacob uh, depicts what I was just telling you. You can see if you look real close, the goat hair on his arms and the mother standing by because she was instrumental in putting him up to this. And so let's see, Jacob is sowing deceit. He's lying and he's cheating. But this is the boy of promise. What happens when you do that? Does it really matter? Down the road, does anything really happen? When we sow seeds, how do they come up later? Is that really a thing? Well, it was really a thing. Esau came back, and when he found out what had happened, he was furiously angry. And he went to his dad and said, oh, dad, can't you bless me too? And his dad said, the blessing went to Jacob. I'm so sorry. And Esau was angry enough to kill Jacob. And so Jacob needed to flee for his life. But right before he left, in Genesis 28, 1 through 4, his dad, probably irritated with him though he was, he knows that he's going off to go and live back in his mom's hometown with his uncle, because where else is he going to go? Doesn't have anything but the clothes on his back. He hasn't inherited the promise. Dad's not dead. And his dad says to him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. That was a mistake that Harry made because Harry was impetuous. He didn't consult God. He just went out and married the local women, and it said that they were a thorn in the flesh and vexation of spirit to his parents. It made for a dysfunctional family where there was a lot of division. But he's telling this boy of promise, arise, go to Paden Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. You following this here? He says, go back to your mom's hometown and marry a cousin. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of people's May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Now, what was the theme verse of this again? Galatians 6, 7. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So he does go there. He does make it to Haran. He comes to a certain place and stays the night there because the sun has set. You know, it's not a two-hour journey, so he's going to have to camp along the road, no hotels. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it 
reached to heaven. You've heard of Jacob's ladder. Well, here's the story. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. You ever heard a revival service preached on that verse? Surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? Okay, so there's that still thinking forward, although manipulative and deceitful man, beginning to make room in his heart for the things of God. How awesome is this place? He's worshiping. There is nothing, this is nothing other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he'd put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He's sanctifying it. He called the name of that place Bethel. That means the house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. And then Jacob made a vow. Now, what was the theme of this lesson again? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. You know, sometimes when people sow bad seeds, at the same time in other areas of their life, they may be sowing good seeds. So life ends up being this interesting, rather complicated mixed bag, doesn't it? Because neither people that we would call evil nor people that we would call good are all black or white. There's this area in between where they make good decisions and they make bad ones. So he lied to his dad and he cheated his brother out of a blessing. But here he is saying to God, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. That's a vow, a promise, obedience. And this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. That sounds to me like worship. God and God alone. No idolatry for me. I'm going to set my eyes on him and follow him wholly. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. I will give back. I will tithe. That's what he said. Those are seeds. He's planting those. Now, he planted lying and cheating, but he also planted worship and vows and designating God as his only Lord. So he gets to his uncle's house. And you know the story. He falls in love with his young cousin. She was probably 13 or 14 at the time, too young to marry. But he loves her deeply, and he asks his uncle, can I marry her in seven years if I work for you? And his uncle says yes. 
I'll serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. When I actually get married. And you know the story. She puts on a veil. They have whatever little short ceremony it is. Laban was pretty well-to-do. It was a beautiful place. This particular uh, illustrator from long ago pictured a big opulent room in the home where they lived. And so they go off in the dark. And the next morning he wakes up in the light and he realizes that the woman he married and that he just spent the night with was not Rachel. It was Leah, the older sister that he didn't have any feelings for. Oh my goodness. And so he says, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Oh, such deception. And so Laban, who is himself also a deceiver, it must have run in that family. And so Laban and his sister Rebecca, who put jo Jacob up to lying to his dad, kind of came from the same cloth, cut from the same cloth. And they make a deal, okay, give your bride the one you didn't work for one week, and then you can also marry Rachel, but you have to stay here and work seven more years. And so in the span of a couple of weeks, he was married to sisters, and this created, for, created terrible strife in his home. In fact, later, when Moses was given the law, we read in Leviticus 18.18 18, that a man was not ever to marry sisters when they were both alive. You know, there was a law that if a woman dies, maybe her sister can be married to the husband, but absolutely not at the same time because it created so much strife and anguish and rivalry. And that's what he signed up for. He was deceived. And so they started off their domestic life. And it's really bizarre because the one he loves and cares for and is affectionate with is Rachel, but she's barren. And Leah, to whom he is obligated, is able to have six children. And in fact, over a period of years, Leah had six sons and then a daughter, Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Zebulun and Dinah. At one point though, about four boys into her having these children, and you can imagine the anguish of heart for Rachel. She was supposed to have him. This was supposed to be her husband, and she so wanted to have children. And the babies are over here with Sister Leah. And on the other hand, Leah's heart is in anguish because she's having these boys, but she knows she's not capturing her husband's heart. And anytime he gets a spare second, he's over there with Rachel. Oh, it was heartbreak. And when she had a period of time when she seemed a little infertile, she gave her maid to Jacob, and that was a concubine, so he had two more sons by Zilpah. Same thing with Rachel. She gave her maid 
to Jacob, another concubine, and two more sons were born. And then finally, 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 she has beloved Joseph. So it's now been 20 years. They've lived with Laban for 20 years, and turns out that Laban didn't just cheat him on his wedding day. He also was very envious of the blessing of God on his life, and he kept trying to cheat him out in the field where he worked for him. And so we get to Genesis 31, and it's been 20 years, and Jacob's had it, and he's going to say to his wives, all four of them, the sisters and the two maids, I think it's time for us to go home now. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father doesn't regard me with favor as he did before. He was just too jealous. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. Let's see, what was the point of this again? Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. So he had the division and strife in his household, and he had the wife that he never really wanted to marry. And then he worked for a man who was always trying to get his wages back again from him. But God didn't permit him to harm me. You know, he did make a vow, didn't he? He did tell God, I'll give you a tenth of everything I have. And so in that way, God was blessing and protecting him. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, you know, the spotted as in the spotted goats. Okay, all these goats that we're breeding here, there's not a whole lot of them that are spotted, but once in a while we'll have one that's spotted. I tell you what, I'm not going to be paying you cash, but you be the shepherd, and if one's born that's spotted, then we'll say that that one is yours. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. In other words, everything Jacob touches turns to gold, the blessing of God. He had made a vow. He said he would serve him. He said he would give back. And there it is, reaping. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. In other words, I'm giving it all to you, blessed of the Lord, Jacob. And then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen that all Laban is doing to you. I'm the God of Bethel you know, the house of God, that place where he had the dream, where the angels came down on the stairway, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He made a vow, and in his heart he was true, and he's reaping these wonderful blessings. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. And so there they go. He gets all of his entourage together, and they don't even tell Laban because they don't want a confrontation. And they just sneak off. And a day or two after they're gone, Laban's going, where is everybody? Where are my daughters? Where are my grandchildren? And in a great heat of anger, he gets a bunch of his men together because you know it is a rich household and they got servants galore. And almost like they were an army, they close in on this family that is fleeing back to where Jacob was born. 
and they confront him. And Laban says, what do you mean? Why are you doing this? And he says, because of the way you treated me, I've got to go. But the interesting thing was, while they were there, Laban said, somebody in this group made off with my household gods. Well, he didn't know that it was Rachel. And so he looks everywhere, and Jacob makes an interesting pronouncement. He says, anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. He didn't realize that his stealing wife actually had the gods. And so then we see another law of sowing and reaping that was really strange and sad and difficult because a couple of slides later, here we are in Genesis 35, when they were still some distance from Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrata, Ephrath, you know, Rachel went into labor. She was going to have baby number two. They were getting older now, but she had finally gotten pregnant the second time. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said, don't fear, for you have another son. But Rachel died, and she was buried on the way. And you know, the baby was Benjamin. So, oh, deceived again. He had no idea that this pronouncement that he would make, whoever has your gods will die. You know, Laban never did discover it. And Jacob apparently never knew that she had the gods, and she died. But they come back, and there she is, dying in childbirth there, famous painting. And then he gets older, and he gives his son Joseph that he loves so much a beautiful coat, and the boys are jealous. You remember that story. And the boys sell Joseph into slavery, and he goes off to Egypt, and they bring the bloody coat back to their dad. They took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood, and he, Jacob, identified it and said, can you imagine how horrible that day was? He sends Joseph off to do a chore, and he come, they bring him back news, and they tell him he's dead. He's not really dead. He's been sold as a slave, and they're on their way to Egypt. But here is Jacob, the deceiver, being deceived again, because whatsoever a man sows, that he also reaps. And this is what he says. It's my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. No, he isn't. And the story's going to have a good ending. But you're going to be in absolute agony for the next 20 years because you've been deceived. How is that fair? Well, he sowed seeds of deceit. He lied to his brother. He lied to his dad. And then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son. And in fact, when they tried to comfort him, he said, no, I'll go down to hell to my son mourning. Well, the story did end up with a beautiful ending. You know how that there was famine in Egypt and Joseph arose to second in command under Pharaoh and he ended up bringing his whole family to Egypt and they lived there and were saved from the awful famine. And there was this wonderful reunification and at some point, Joseph takes his dad because he wants him to meet Pharaoh. So here we are at the very end of his life. Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh basically says to Jacob, how are you? How old are you, sir? And this was his reply. The days of the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and evil have been the days 
and years of my life. That's how he described it because of the sowing and reaping. Oh, 20 years of household strife because he married the wrong woman because he was deceived. And then all of those years of having his wages changed. And then all of those years of thinking that his beloved Joseph was dead. Few and evil have been the years of the days of my life, and they haven't attained to the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. So what was the point of this? Well, in Joseph, uh, in Genesis 8, God told Noah, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. There is a law of sowing and reaping that is still in effect. Look at this. He deceived his dad and his brother big time, and he reaped getting the wrong wife, being given the wrong wages, and being cheated and finagled for 20 years, losing his beloved Rachel in childbirth, and thinking that his son Joseph that he loved so much was dead for 20 years before he learned the truth. On the other hand, he made a vow to God to tithe and to be faithful and to serve him only and to worship him. And look at the blessings he reaped. He was given a large, healthy family and great, great wealth. And that whole bunch was protected in famine. He was also made patriarch of the Jewish nation from which we get the Bible and Jesus Christ himself. Reminds me of Hosea 10, 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your hard, dry ground. For it's the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness on you. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For us, the bottom line is, that law of sowing and reaping is still in effect, and we're going to see it in our lives too. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please pass it along. 